Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. And this sounds so obvious that I kind of hate even to say it, but it's just so true. And obligers need to hear it more than anybody. If you do not want to do something, if you feel that you should not have to load the dishwasher or you feel that you should not have to mow the yard or you feel that you should not have to pick up wet towels off of a child's bed and put them on the rack, don't do it. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 136. Today, we're talking to Gretchen Rubin about how to be happier. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields, Mindful Mama Mentor. I coach overstressed moms on how to cultivate calm in their daily lives and to create more peace and cooperation in their families. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course, and I'm the mom of two girls who do challenge me every day to hone my craft. Welcome back, dear listener. I'm so glad you're here. It's always an honor to connect with you in your ears. It's wonderful. I really appreciate your presence here. I'm so excited for you to join me as we sit down with Gretchen Rubin. And if you haven't heard of Gretchen Rubin, you must be living under a rock. But anyway, Gretchen Rubin is one of today's most influential and thought-provoking observers of happiness and human nature. And she's the author of many books, including the bestsellers, The Four Tendencies, Better Than Before, and The Happiness Project. So we're going to talk all about that, how to 
change bad habits and create good habits, how to be happier every day. And it's interesting because you'll sit with us as we talk about this idea. She's going to push back on some commonly held beliefs like the middle path is always best and give what you want to receive. So I can't wait for you to hear some of this, dear listener. Before we dive in, I want to quickly let you know that my Mindful Mama Transformation coaching groups are starting up. I'm starting a new round of coaching groups. This only happens uh, maybe two, maybe three times a year that I open up these groups. And it's a group coaching program that is really for people who are learning to really nurture yourself fully, getting encouragement and support from other moms going through the same things, feeling this is where you you really feel seen and heard like never before. And, and I teach in a very small and intimate group setting, parenting and communication skills that will radically improve your relationships. And you'll really truly reconnect with yourself. And so people have said that it's, you know, she one um, participant, Kyla said, I didn't know what to expect going in, but I've really had a complete transformation. And even her husband sees a huge change in her and she's a lot happier. So if you are interested in joining me with a small group of women to make lifelong changes and using some of the tools that Gretchen and I will talk about today, learn more at mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching. And that is enrolling real soon. We're going to start our groups up in November. So don't wait. If you have a kind of an inkling that this is for you, I invite you to check it out because it can make a huge, huge difference. And I'm happy to talk to you about more about that personally. And now join me at the table as I talk to Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen Rubin, welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm so glad you could be here. I'm so happy to get the chance to talk to you today. Yeah, yeah, this is great. So I have read a couple of your books and I have friends who have read a couple of your books. Actually, I have to show you, this is a copy of Happier at Home. I borrowed from my friend and see all the tabs. Oh, I love that. I love seeing a well-loved book. That's great. <laughs> so for you guys, for the listener on the podcast, it is full of fluorescent tabs, her, her copy of Happier at Home. I kind of think of you as like a life, like, you know, you got, things are pretty good, right? We're talking first world problems here, right? Like we have stable homes and all those kind of things. And then and then you're kind of like this sort of hacker for like, for then, okay, then now what? Then how do I, how do I get to this place of fulfillment? Kind of like addressing that, the, you know, the fourth noble truth, life is uncomfortable, the first noble truth, right? right. So, so how did you get started with that? Well, you know, it was a very inconspicuous moment of my day. I was stuck on the city bus in the pouring rain and I didn't have any book to read or anything to distract myself with. So I, I was looking at the window and I thought, well, what do I want from life anyway? And I thought, I want to be happy. But I realized I didn't spend any time thinking about whether I was happy or how I could be happier. And I thought, well, I should have a happiness project. And that was the word that it came to my mind. And I ran out of the library the next day and got a giant stack of books about happiness and started reading. And this is something that happens to me often. Like I will get upset. Like I just went through this big obsession with color. I was like obsessed with color. I'm obsessed with the sense of smell. So I'll do all this research. Um, so that was a very familiar process to me. But this was just such a vast, limitless, fascinating subject that 
but it got bigger and bigger and bigger. I finally thought, well, maybe maybe I should write a book called The Happiness Project. And um, and in fact, this sort of the larger subject of happiness and you know how do we create the lives that we want, whether that's by habits or self knowledge or whatever. I've been focused on that ever since because it is just such a giant subject. And I think you're exactly right. It's like once we have the basics of our lives down, how do we then like what's the low hanging fruit for the things that we could do to make ourselves happier, healthier, more productive, more creative? For a lot of this, there's things well within our reach, things that don't take a lot of time, energy or money. So like, why not do them? That's that's what I'm interested in. So what are some of those things for that, like one listener who's never read your book? Uh, sure. <laughs> what, what are some of those low hanging things that you discovered mm-hmm. that was sort of the first time around? Well, so in the Happiness Project, and then again, I, I did sort of a similar thing at Happier at Home. So the Happiness Project, I took a year because a, a year felt like long enough to, for change to be possible, but short enough that I could kind of see the end of it. And for each month, I came up with a theme of something that I thought would be important to boosting my happiness. So it might have been energy, parenting, marriage, friendship, work, you know, things like that, transcendence. And then within each theme, I tried to come up with three or four kind of manageable, concrete things that I thought would boost my happiness. And so I was using myself as a guinea pig. I was experimenting on myself to see if I did this, if I did these things differently, would it, would it affect my happiness? And that's everything from like giving myself a bedtime. So I was just much more regular about getting enough sleep, which that's something that I encourage people to do. Like, and even put it on your, you know, give yourself an alarm that goes off at 1030 or at 11 or whatever. And like, this is your bedtime. You're up past your bedtime. You need a bedtime, just like your six-year-old. And then things like, and this was from Happier at Home, I think. And this was one of the rare ideas where we did it as a family. Almost all my stuff is things that I could do just by myself. Because if you wait around for other people to cooperate, you can be waiting a long time. But this was one that we did as a family, which was that we agreed that we would give warm hellos and goodbyes every time somebody came and went. So like my husband just left for work not too long ago. So he calls to me and then like I actually go to him and give him a hug and a kiss before he leaves for the day. This is a very small thing, but it dramatically changes the environment, the, the atmosphere of your household because it just feels so much more attentive and loving than people just like yelling out, you know, goodbye or hello or, you know, barely, you know, grunting as they look up from their homework or whatever. Those are some things. Well, let me stop you there for a second, because I'm really interested in this idea of like giving warm hellos and goodbyes. I mean, it's like that practice. Happiness is the way. That's what Han says. Happiness is the way. You have like girls, right? Like you have kids. (laughs) How old are they? And how did you convince them to give warm hellos and goodbyes? Because I know I have an 11 year old. I give her warm goodbyes often and sometimes her hug is like uh, you know it's just like the shoulder in the in the you know kind of thing so so how did you convince your kids well it's interesting everybody was really on board with it right away which I would have backed down if they had not wanted to do it but they all sort of got it that it's it's just like it's kind of a lonely feeling when you come in or out of your house and no one even seems to care I mean at the time that we did it we didn't have a dog now I have a dog and you realize one of the reasons that people love to have a dog is your dog is so excited to see you come through the door you know you get the big hello they really notice that you're you cross the threshold and there's just something really nice about that and so I mean you might just say to your to your 11 year old you know why don't we try this and the fact is and this is true for for the happiness project generally, you've got to do it for yourself. 
and you've got to do it on your own. And if you wait around for other people to cooperate or to appreciate what you're doing or to remark on it or even to notice what you're doing, you know, I realized I was going to set myself up for disappointment and resentment. I do these things because that's what I want. I do it because this is the way I want my life to be. And if other people don't want to do it, then that's for them to decide. And it seems like, you know, I would love to do a happiness project when I was explaining to other people like what they need to do right and that would make <laughs> me happier. You don't get to do that. You don't get to give homework. But what I also found, especially for something like this, is that when I change, a relationship changes. And when I change, the atmosphere of my house changes. And what you see is that if one person is consistently giving a very enthusiastic hello or goodbye, people adapt to that and they start to expect it. And I mean, I wonder if your child, like if you all of a sudden stop doing that, if your child would sort of start to hang around and kind of wait, because mm -hmm. even if they're very grudging about it, maybe it's more important than you might think mm. because people do want that moment of kind of recognition, I think. But I think you're right. You don't wait for other people to cooperate because they, they very well may not. So kind of like give what you want to receive. Like, so if your family was not unburned. Mm, that's, I would be cautioning about that even, because if you give what you want to receive, uh -huh. then you're expecting people to respond a certain way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many giving is a form of neediness at times. Mm. I'm going to make a wonderful dinner for you because what I want is for you to praise me. Mm -hmm. Okay, make a wonderful dinner because you love to cook. Yeah. Clean up the kitchen because you like a clean kitchen. Yeah. Give a loving hello because that's the kind of person that you are. Mm. If, you're if you're saying like, I'm giving because that's what I want to receive, you may not get it back. And that's the recipe for resentment. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. So, so you're giving your warm hellos, your goodbyes, this low hanging fruit, getting enough sleep. So you're kind of saying like, you have to mother yourself. Like I'm sure we'll get into the four tendencies and how do we get ourselves to like do these and change these habits. But first give me a few more of those low hanging fruit that helped for you. This isn't actually in the book. It's an idea that came to me later as part of the Happier podcast, because I have this podcast with my sister. Um, and this was actually an idea that came from my mother, but we talked about it on the podcast, and I've heard from so many people that this has been a really powerful idea for them. And this is the idea of what we call update. So this is what you do for like, you know, like I do this with my mother, my father, and my sister, we're, you know, kind of my nuclear family. We will do periodically, like every week or 10 days, we send an email to the three, all four of us that's called update and the, the the motto of update is it's okay to be boring and you write about the most mundane things in your life like I'm gonna get my hair cut I'm off to the dentist um, Barnaby threw up this morning you know whatever it is <laughs> and the idea is because my mother had remarked when you see people all the time you have a lot to talk about and when you see people less often you often are like how are you I'm fine how are you I'm fine too you know you don't have enough to talk about and this was like, let's just really be connected in the very, the day to day. You know, there's a lot about the University of Nebraska football team for my father, because that's what's on his mind. <laughs> and what it really does, and so many people have reported the same thing, it just makes you feel much more connected to each other because you know about those boring little details. And then when you talk to each other, you're like, oh, whatever happened with that? And oh, yeah, like, you know, you, you're just so mm -hmm. much more connected. Mm -hmm. And it's very, and we don't answer them. So they don't create work. And you don't have to craft something thoughtful or funny or interesting. It's really literally like, what is the most boring thing going on in your day? And it, and it really, really changes the way that people um, feel toward each other and how close they feel toward each other because they feel, they feel that daily connection. Um, another great thing, a lot of people, uh, a lot that a lot of people have talked about. And actually, I'm talking, this is a theme in my, I have a book coming out in March 2019, which is 
called Outer Order, Inner Calm, which is all about the idea that for most of us, outer order contributes to a sense of inner calm. And this is the one minute rule. Anything you can do in less than a minute, do without delay. So if you can put your cup in the dishwasher, if you can hang up your coat on a hook, if you can rip open a letter, scan it and throw it away, if you can put your key on the key hook, just go ahead and do it. And don't let yourself postpone those little tasks. And over and over people say that it's funny because it doesn't, it literally takes less than a minute. So this is something you can do. It's just part of even a very, very busy day, but it just gets rid of that kind of scum of clutter on the surface of life and those little tasks that they're not hard on their own. But when you look around and you see like 50 things, oh, the dog toys and the dishes and the newspapers and the coats and the backpacks and the shoes, you just feel overwhelmed. And like the one minute rule just gets rid of all that and uh, gives people a tremendous sense of relief. So that's it's something that I follow and it really, really, it's surprising how much lighter you feel during your day when you do the one minute rule. We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math Mysteries About True Histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. I highly recommend this podcast. It's really wonderful, especially if you have kids like around like six plus, but it can totally be enjoyed by the whole family. So I listened to the episode, The Pirate Queen, and you're just dropped right in the middle of the action. People are fighting. There's sword fight. And then these kids, they've gone on a time travel mission and they have to solve problems in the midst of it. And it really just like exemplifies everything we support here at Mindful Parenting. You know, kids who are adventurous, doing things on the world, they're capable. And then they do things like they have to do math, they have to think critically, they have to code break and pattern solving and all this great stuff. Beyond just the Pirate Queen episode, which I highly recommend, episodes transport listeners to moments in history, too, like Pythagoras, Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. So jump in with your family. Follow the adventures of Max and Molly on an adventure through time with puzzles and hidden equations and laughs. And it really does make learning really fun and really cool. Perfect for ages six and up. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood 
explains. We're we definitely are like a simplified household. My husband, he would live like in a, a Japanese home with like tatami mats that you yes. tuck away, like it'd be good. Yeah. But I, I kind of come from a house of like eclectic clutter. So we're, yeah. we're meeting in the middle. And for me coming from like a kind of a cluttery house normally, and I, having absorbed for the last, you know, 15 years, these, his neatness. Now I really appreciate that idea of outer order, inner calm, because it really does make a big difference to just have the, you know, your landscape, your room, your home, all of that. It does add to, to your inner calm to create that. It's kind of an outside in approach, but it does work for yeah. sure. No, it's surprising to the degree to which people do feel like the outside does go in. And I write about this in my book, Better Than Before, which is all about habit change. There's simplicity lovers, abundance lovers, and clutter. Mm. Um, and sometimes simplicity lovers think that abundance lovers are like are cluttered. Um, but I think there's a difference. So a simplicity lover, I'm a simplicity lover as well. So I like bare surfaces and, and empty shelves, and I don't like a lot going on, and I like one, you know, one of something. Um, I don't like a lot of buzz or a lot going on. I'm a simplicity lover. And then there are abundance lovers and abundance lovers thrive on profusion and collection and choices and buzz and a lot going on and a lot of stimulation. And, and they want to, you know, they want to see five vases on the shelf, not just one little vase, you know, and that's abundance. And so I think those are two, and both are right. You know, that some, one's better and one's worse. It's like some people like abundance, some people like simplicity, but then there's clutter and clutter is when there's stuff there that you don't need, you don't use, and you don't love. And so it's in your way. Even an abundance lover doesn't want clutter because clutter isn't the beautiful collection of five vases, which is a delight, but it's just like a bunch of junk that like doesn't, bowl, that's out of place. And so, but I do think that sometimes, and I say this as a simplicity lover, I think sometimes to simplicity lovers, we're like, why do you have anything on this table at all? Let's get everything off the table. You know what I mean? But to an abundance lover, it's like, well, now it looks sterile and cold to me. I want color. I want shapes. I want texture. I want stuff or I want buzz or I want choice or I want profusion. But abundance is not the same thing as clutter. Well, I, I really appreciate you clarifying that because it feels like sometimes there's this push and pull between like just simplify, simplify, simplify. And that's actually something that we teach in the mindful parenting course that I teach. We teach, you know, simplify your kind of your schedule and your, your stuff and that can help reduce stress for your kids and yourself in the... Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's like it's the middle path, right? It's not like we can you can decide you have to be simple and that's the only way to be happy. So I appreciate you kind of clarifying that. That's beautiful. So you wrote a lot about the way we change habits. And I'm wondering about, you know, you wrote about like how, how do we quit sugar? How do we stop procrastinating? So what were some of the habits that you changed that were some of the hardest habits and, and how did you change them? So in my book, Better Than Before, I really focus on the 21 strategies that we can use to make or break our habits. And the funny thing that I learned from writing that book, and this was something that like now looking back at my books, The Happiness Project and Happier at Home, I see, which is that I don't struggle that much with habit change. Mm. Habit change comes pretty easily to me. And I never knew why until I figured out my four tendencies framework, which you alluded to earlier. So habits change isn't that difficult for me, which is interesting. When I quit sugar, I quit sugar overnight and yeah, I basically gave up carbs overnight and I love that. That's like a whole separate story about like how I did that and why I did that. Are you still keeping so to that? Yeah, it's been like five years now. Wow. And so what are yeah. the differences? And this is like a health tangent, but what are the differences? Because I mean, I'm super aware of like the 
problems with sugar and my husband has issues with carbs yet, you know, we kind of walk sort of the middle path, but I'm, I'm curious about how did it change how you feel? Well, one thing is I have a real, real sweet tooth. And so that's all gone away. All that buzz, all that noise, like, you know, I used to be like, oh, Halloween, I'm going to eat all these bite-sized candies. One, two, three, today, tomorrow. No, I, you know, because I don't eat candy. I don't eat candy on Halloween. I don't eat candy ever, you know? So it's just very, uh, oh, I'm in a store where they have a big, a big bowl of free chocolate. Do I eat one? No, I don't, because I don't eat chocolate. It just is so much easier. But this is one of the things that I talk, it's interesting, you've mentioned a couple of times the middle path. Hmm. And one thing I found is that often the middle path is not the right path. It might be that one extreme or the other is better for an individual person. And one way that this comes up, and it certainly comes up with eating or, or strong temptation, is are you a, an abstainer or a moderator? So, and this, this has to do with when you're facing a strong temptation. Now, I'm an abstainer, as you can probably tell. I'm an all or nothing person. I can have no Thin Mint cookies, or I can have 11 Thin Mint cookies. I can have one bite size, you know, zero bite size Snickers, or I can have 10 bite size Snickers, but I can't have one bite size Snicker. And so for me and people who are like me, abstainers, it's easier to have none. It's, you know, once we say none, it's not a big deal, but once we start, it's very, very hard to stop. Then there are moderators. Moderators are people who get kind of panicky or rebellious if they're told they can never have something. They That's say, so <laughs> yeah, they say, I want to have it sometimes. I want to have a little bit. I have a bar of fine chocolate and I'm just going to have one square of fine chocolate every day or so. That's all I need. I'm going to follow the 80-20 rule. Now, that is great advice for you if you are a moderator. It is terrible advice for me. And a lot of times, I think in our culture, there's this idea that moderation is pleasant to the wise and you shouldn't be too rigid. You shouldn't demonize certain food. You shouldn't be too hard on yourself. That's good advice for a moderator. Mm. Abstainers like me, and I've heard from so many people who are like, oh my gosh, it's such a relief for me to know this is like a legitimate thing to do, which is just to give things up altogether. And moderators will say to people like me, you shouldn't be too rigid. It's not healthy you know, to be so hard on yourself. And I say to moderators, why do you keep breaking your own rules? why don't you just go cold turkey? It's so much easier. It's so much easier for me because these are just two different ways that people approach strong temptation. And most of us are a mix. I'm a moderator when it comes to wine. I can have half a glass of wine because I don't really like wine that much. But a friend of mine is like, I can have zero glasses or four glasses. There is no one glass of wine for me. And again, it's not that one way is right and one way is wrong. It's just that one way is right, might be right for you or easier for you than another way. And just the, and the idea that well, because something works for you doesn't mean it works for me. And, I, and just because something works for me doesn't mean that it works for you. And it's all about how do we find the approach to habit change that's going to allow us to thrive rather than trying to jam ourselves into a model of like, this is what Steve Jobs did. This is what my sister-in-law did. This, these are the like, you know, these are the, this is the best way to do it. I heard about a researcher who was trying to find the best way to change habits. And I'm like, that's a ridiculous, it's, there is no best way. It's what's best for an, an individual. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because- I mean, it's almost like our, our diet too. Like we're all bio-individual, right? Like we all, I mean, we, we all have different genes, different cultures and all those things. And like, so there's no one best diet. I mean, it's kind of what we're seeing, you know, kind of to make that health analogy. Right. So, um, well, this is, this is fascinating because like, I, I love this because, um, one of the things that works really works well for me and that I teach a lot of, you know, thousands of people how to practice meditation and mindfulness. And you tried meditation, right? And it didn't work for you. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I've really tried it twice, like really good, solid tries. I think the last time I I did it for five months and it just did nothing for me. It just, Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is just, I don't find this useful or helpful. 
um, because I'm really good at making habits. It was like, I actually had to break the habit of meditating. Um, so it wasn't the habit of meditating that was hard for me. I think a lot of people like to meditate, want to meditate, and they're, they're, they find it hard to do it. Mm-hmm. I did not find it hard to be doing it. I just didn't find it useful for me. And again, mm-hmm. I think that's, I'm not surprised by that because I think everybody's different and the, the challenge is to find like, well, what's true for me? What works for me? Um, not to beat myself up if something doesn't work for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I love this, this idea of the abstainers and the moderators. And so, you know, listener, I invite you to think about like, what are you and what areas are you abstainer or moderator? Like maybe it'd be better for you to just be go cold turkey on certain things rather than that that middle path. So through this work of this noticing, like this is how we change, these are habits, this is how we change habits. And wow, actually it's pretty easy for me to change habits. You, is that how you discovered the four tendencies? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, because one of the things was I had no, people would say to me things like when I went after the happiness project and happier at home, they would say, well, how did you get yourself to do these things? And I said, well, you know, these were things that I figured would make me happier. And so I decided to do them and then they did make me happier. So I kept doing them and they would, and they would look very puzzled and they would say, <laughs> how did you get yourself to do them? And I was like, I, what do you, I don't understand. What's the question. Um, and then there were other patterns that I started to see, like a friend of mine, this was like, hit me like a ton of bricks. A friend of mine said, I know I would be happier if I exercised. And the weird thing is when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? And I thought, well, why? It's the same person. It's the same behavior. At one time, she had no trouble doing it. Now she's really struggling. How do you explain that? Um, and then there were other people where I would say, a question that I often like to ask people is, how do you feel about New Year's resolutions? Because if, mm-hmm. if you're in the habit change world, like New Year's resolutions is a big subject. And a certain number of people would say to me almost verbatim the same thing, which was, I would, ma- I would make a resolution whenever it made sense for me, but I would not do it on January 1st because January 1st is an arbitrary date. And I thought, well, that's interesting because the arbitrariness of it never really bothered me, but like clearly to some, like this one group of people that is like very, very significant. So I was trying and trying and trying to figure out all these patterns, um, and uh, and that that is what finally in this kind of glorious epiphany at this very desk that I sit at right now, um, I realized uh, I saw how the four tendencies fit together and and, and what this what the significance of of these patterns was. And it, and it's about how we make changes in our life and things like that. And of course, I have done your quiz. Ooh, can I guess what you are? Yeah, yeah. Guess what I am? I'm guessing you're an obliger. No. No. Uh, no. Well, what I'm are you? I'm a questioner. You're a questioner. Interesting. Yes, yes okay. I'm a questioner. If yeah, no, no. You mentioned self care. That's what tipped me off. It's like that. That's usually a sign of obligers. But you may have many obligers that you work with, and so that's why you brought it up. Is because you work with many people who raise that. Yeah, actually, it's true. Yeah, um, self care comes easily to me. You know, that's yes, something that a people questioner. people ask me yes. about. People ask me about all the time that I had to be like wait, okay, well, what do I do? And why is this important to me? And, you know, this was something I really had to think about and figure out, you know, just like you, this kind of thing. So yeah, no. Self-care is an obliger problem. Upholders do not have that problem. Questioners do not have that problem. And rebels do not have that problem. I mean, they might slightly have that problem if they're like super overtaxed in their lives and they just really don't have enough time. But usually it's, if somebody uses the term self-care, that is the big, um, and you did not use the the word that is my uh, arbitrary, which is the word that usually a questioner gets the word arbitrary very quickly. But um, oh, so that's interesting that you're a questioner. Good to know. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. So, but you, well, I want, I'd love for you to explain, of course, what each yes. one is, but, but, um, I think I have a, I have a friend who is a, a big fan of yours. I've, she brings every one of the, oh. like, here's this, look, we can do this thing. And she's so, anyway, um, she has told me recently, she said that most people are obligers. Is that, is that true? It's not most people. It's the, it's the largest, largest. for both men and women, but it's not, ah. it's not more oh, than 50%. Okay. Okay. So, so a yeah. lot, it's the largest tendency. Okay. So what are the yeah. four tendencies? So okay. So the, so the tendency, <laughs> the, what your tenant, you're either an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel. And what this is, is how you respond to expectations, which sounds really boring, but is actually quite interesting and significant. So we all face two kinds of expectations, uh, outer expectations, like a work deadline or a request from a friend. And then inner expectations, my own desire to keep a New Year's resolution, my own desire to get back into practicing guitar. So depending on how you meet outer and inner, that's what determines whether you're an upholder, a questioner, or obliger, rebel. Now, there's a quiz on my site. You can go to quiz.gretchenrubin.com, and there's a quiz, like a very quick free quiz, which I think 1.6 million people have taken. But most people don't even need to take the quiz. They can just listen to the description I'm going to give, and they know what they are. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect of them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important or more important. So is that you? You're an upholder? I'm an upholder, which is why I say I have a pretty easy time for me habits. It's easier. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's easier typically for upholders. Then there are questioners like you. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they believe it makes sense. They resist anything arbitrary or inefficient or unjustified. They always want to know why. So they're making everything an inner expectation. If some if an expectation meets their inner standard for making sense, they'll do it no problem. If it fails their standard, they will push back. Yes. Then there are obligers. As we were saying, this is the largest, this is the one that the largest number of people belong to. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So this is my friend on the track team, right? That's what, that's the pattern. When she had a team and a coach waiting for her, she didn't have any trouble showing up. But when she was trying to go running on her own, she struggled. And this is why obligers have trouble with self-care because they're meeting every, all the outer expectations that are coming their way. But when they have an inner expectation, like I should read more, or I should, you know, make time for meditation because that's an inner expectation. Um, it goes, it's, it's a challenge. And so the answer, like big reveal here for if you are an obliger and you want to meet an inner expectation, you have to have outer accountability. That's what works for obligers. And we should probably talk about that more because that's a really, really big idea. If you're an obliger and you can't meet an inner expectation, which is the definition of an obliger, give yourself outer accountability and you will, if you want to read more, join a book group. That's how it works. Hmm. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. And they can do anything they want to do. They can do anything they choose to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. Um, and often they don't want to tell themselves what to do. Like they don't want to sign up for a 10 a.m. yoga class on Saturdays because they don't know what they're going to want to do on, t- on, on Saturday morning. And just the idea that someone's expecting them to show up is going to annoy them. Um, and that is the smallest group. Uh, rebel is the smallest. And then my group, my tendency, the upholder tendency is only slightly larger. It's, it's, it's an, it's a, it's, those are the two kind of extreme personality types and they're pretty small people. It's much more likely that people are questioners or obligers. Huh? So it's almost like the, the vast, you know, it's almost like a spectrum, like where you, you meet your inner expectations or you meet outer expectations and you kind of fall sort of on one side of that or the other is kind of what I'm getting from this. Well, I, it, yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, and within it, like each tendency overlaps with the other two yeah. other tendencies. And so you kind of that also you're sort of uh, you said like a spectrum. It's kind of a range. So yeah. you're a questioner. So some in, in some ways, questioners are like upholders because they both readily meet inner expectations. So you could be a questioner who tips to upholder, which is what my husband is. Or you can be a questioner who tips to rebels because questioners and rebels both resist outer expectations. That's what Steve Jobs was. He was a questioner who tipped to rebel. He wanted to know what was justified and he would be led by, he would be convinced by that, but it was very hard because his impulse to push back was because he tapped into that rebel side of him. So we each, it's like which way you tip also influences how your tendency comes up. I'm an upholder who tips to questioner. Um, so uh, my upholderness comes out in a slightly different way from an upholder who tips to obliger, but we're still both upholders. So when we think about how we, you know, when we're thinking like, okay, you know, I want to go get enough sleep. I want to maybe do that update thing. I want to give warm hellos and goodbyes. I want to do these things that make me happy. We have to kind of take three steps back and say, but how do I, how do I get things done? How do I, how do I respond to expectations? And and then say, okay, then, then how can I do it? You know, what can I do? I mean, it's interesting because I have a book club and, um, you know, and and I, I could I guess I could probably see like from who reads the book who's the holder right or or who's the obliger and who isn't right because uh, because who who reads the book so oblige so obligers there I'm sure there are a lot of obligers listening um, who want to who want to start some some habits and especially mm-hmm. moms because I, there's so many there's so many of us you know we get this kind of like mommy martyr thing kind of pushed down our throats mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. oh you're a good mom if you are self-sacrificing and you do everything mm-hmm. for kids but what we talk a lot about here on the mindful mama podcast is like you're not great for anybody if you're not taking care of yourself if you're you're right. in your cup isn't full if you're actually not making yourself your number one priority so so but, that is an obliger argument right there is an obliger your argument because what you're saying is you must take care of yourself in order to be able to serve others more effectively now to me as an upholder that is not a convincing argument Mm -hmm. i take care of myself because i want to take care of myself Mm -hmm. and i remember what another thing that when i was coming up with the four tendencies i had this very interesting discussion with a journalist who was a questioner like you and she said now why is it that busy moms like us can't take time for ourselves and i said well actually i don't have any trouble taking time for myself and she said you know neither do i (laughs) <laughs> I was like, okay, well, look, why is there this idea that busy moms have trouble taking care of themselves? It's because obliger is a large tendency. It's a big group of people. So a lot of people feel like this. And a lot of people are like, doesn't everybody feel like this? And then there's a lot of people saying like, yeah, I feel the same way. But not everybody does feel that mm-hmm. way. And so it's important to realize like I'm experiencing this and that's completely legitimate and it's something to address, but it's not inherent in the situation. Part of it is my nature, which is which is coming up in this circumstance. And the answer, the solution for an obliger who feels that way, and there are many, many, many of them out there, is outer accountability. If you want to go to bed on time, do not try to work on your inner motivation. Do not try to make yourself the priority. Do not try to get more motivated. Give yourself some form of outer accountability. Like you could tell your kids that they can stay awake as long as you're awake. And they can only go to bed. Like, but they, that you, um, they don't have to go to bed until you go to bed. Well, you're going to go to bed a lot earlier, right? Okay, now that's not going to work if your kid has a 7 p.m. bedtime. But if you had an older child, that could work. Um, yeah. Or you could say to, um, you could set your alarm. Some uh, some obligers do feel accountable 
to things like auto auto um, responders or apps, you know, that, that will mm -hmm. remind you. Um, so obligers are very different in what they feel accountable for. And so you want to tap into whatever works for you. Um, often sweethearts don't make a good accountability partners because you're like, oh, I love you so much. You're like part of me. So I'm going to ignore you like I ignore me. So your sweetheart might not make a good accountability partner. But you can think about your future self. You know, oh, my gosh, Gretchen right now wants to stay up and binge watch Game of Thrones. But future Gretchen is going to be so upset if she wakes up exhausted again and misses going to the gym because she's so tired from staying up late. Um, you could, I, a, a thing that comes up a lot is wanting to get up on time as well. Mm -hmm. This is another obliger thing, especially if you live by yourself. And I heard this most hilarious one was a woman um, had a dog and um, she made a recording of her voice saying, Ginger, want to go for a walk? Ginger, want to go for a walk? And so the, jo the dog who slept in her bedroom would like spring to her feet and be like, this is amazing. Let's go for a walk. And then she said, I had to get up out of bed and take my dog out because you know Ginger is like looking so happy and excited. So again, it's like obligers are very, very ingenious how they think about this outer accountability. But you have to see like, how do you build that scaffolding in? How do you build in that outer accountability? That is what's going to, that's what's good. You know, if you want to exercise, you know, you go with a friend, you take a class, you work out with a trainer, you raise money for a philanthropy by doing a 5K. You think about your duty to be a role model for other people, a role model by doing good behaviors. I'm going to show my family exercise is an important value because they're going to see me doing it. Or also, I'm going to show my family that I, it's important to keep our promises to ourselves. And I'm going to tell my children I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do it. And I have to show them that it's important to keep your word to yourself. So I'm going to do it because my duty is a role model. Otherwise, maybe I would be tempted to blow it off. But we all know that that really does matter. People really are influenced by the way people in their household behave, like to a crazy degree. If you live in a healthy way, you're much more likely to, um, you know, like uh, create an atmosphere where other people will make, make healthy choices as well. If you give up sugar, the other people in your house will probably start eating. This is what happened to me. My family didn't decide to quit sugar or give up carbs. But over time, they started eating a lot less. Because if one person in your house doesn't eat carbs, it's like it changes things. So again, sometimes you don't, you can change things by changing yourself. You can change, you know, more people than yourself just by working on yourself. Yeah. 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 I mean, kids are right, terrible at doing what we say, but great at doing what we do. Right. So, you know, I mean, and, and similar with our, our partners, right. As we change ourselves to change the way we react and respond, then they start to say, oh, okay, that, that might be working. That's working for you. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I am Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. 
I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. I love this because you're bringing this... um... You're bringing a, a very a kind of mindfulness-based attitude to this, Gretchen, yes. which is like you're bringing yes. this attitude of curiosity and non-judgment about yes. who I am and why I do the things I do. I don't have yes. to be fit in this certain box. I don't have to do it the way Hunter does it. I don't have to do it the way Gretchen does it. I just have to understand myself and work with my own tendencies, which is a very Listen. non-judgmental attitude, and I really love no, that. And I think that term non-judgmental is so important because uh, when I talk to people about habits or happiness, a lot of times people are really caught in this like self-loathing or they're like, I have no willpower. I have no self-control. I'm not a real grown-up. I'm not a real grown-up. How come everybody else can use a to-do list and stick to a schedule, but I can't? Hey, that's not surprising. You're a rebel. Rebels often don't like to use to-do lists. They often can't stick to a schedule. That's cool. Like there's a lot of great things about being a rebel. Let's find a different solution for you because that doesn't work. Or somebody saying like, I don't understand. Well, why can't I keep my promises to myself? I, I, I never miss a promise to anyone else. What's wrong with me that I can't keep a promise to myself? Mm. Like, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. It's totally to be expected. This is a very common challenge among obligers. There's no problem there. Let's just figure out how to achieve your aims because there's a lot of ways to achieve an aim once we realize this is who you are. Or questioners like, oh, I fall into analysis paralysis. I get so hung up on making the perfect decision. I can't decide. I can't decide. I drive everybody crazy. I drain and I drain myself. It's like, yeah, you've got analysis paralysis. This happens to questioners sometimes. There are solutions for that that questioners have come up with. Maybe one of them will work for you. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't need to change. You're fine the way you are. But let's figure out a different solution because something's not working for you. It's not your fault, but let's try something different because there's a lot of ways. If what you want to do is exercise, there's a million ways you can set that up. And maybe you're setting yourself up for failure without realizing it. And if we just tweaked things slightly, you'd have a much better chance of success. And so it's all, it's that, so I think you're exactly right. It's like, don't get judgy about it. Just figure out, okay, now, given what the solution, given the truth about who I am and my situation, what do I try next? Mm, okay. And just kind of looking at ourselves as this, like, you know, just like you did, like as this experiment and yeah. let's, let's try this and see how it goes and, and stick with it for a while. And, and so the, the sort of the questions about how do we change bad habits? How do we stick to new habits? It all just really depends on who you are and what type yeah. of person you are. Yeah. Right. Right. And one thing that's helpful is to think like, well, when have you succeeded in the past? Because mm-hmm. like my friend, there was an important clue in the fact that she had been on the track team, right? But she mm-hmm. didn't understand what the clue was. She didn't understand that it was about the outer accountability. So sometimes it's like, well, if you were really good about cooking, when you, li- I, I talked to somebody who was like this, she, she was like, I hate cooking. I hate cooking. But she knew it would be healthier if she cooked. I was like, well, was there ever a time in your life when you did cook? And she said, well, actually, yes. When I lived in a group house in Washington, DC, right out of college. And I used to cook there all the time. And so just talking to her about it, I realized what she didn't like to do was grocery shop. She lived with a roommate who loved to grocery shop. You know, some people just love to grocery shop. My husband's like that. And so there were all this stuff. And, and then, it, so she had thought she disliked cooking, but what she actually didn't like was shopping. Well, that's a very different problem. And she was able to very easily 
get out of the grocery shopping that she didn't like. And then she was able to get back to cooking. So sometimes it's like, well, look at your past. Um, mm. Here's something else, um, speaking especially of health habits, that I want to mention with obligers, because this is a huge pattern among obligers, and it's very confusing to them and to the people around them, but it's a very, very common pattern, is the pattern of obliger rebellion. And this is when obligers meet, 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 meet expectations, and then suddenly they snap, and they're like, well, this I will not do. And sometimes it's kind of small and funny, and sometimes it can be huge and dramatic, like I'm going to get a divorce, I'm going to end a 20-year friendship, I'm going to quit because I've had it, you're dead to me, this is over. And it's meant to help obligers by blowing up a situation. Like, I can't stand this workplace anymore. It's so unfair. I'm being so taken advantage of. I'm just going to quit and let, you know, let the chips fall where they may. It's meant to help them, but it can be very destructive because it's kind of out of control and it's sudden. Um, and so it's very important for obligers or people around obligers, which is basically like everybody in the world, we all need mm-hmm. to understand obliger rebellion, um, to understand when that deep resentment and burnout is building in obligers. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody else is on two committees. Why am I on 10 committees? Why am I always the one that has to take the extra shifts? Why aren't other people taking extra shifts? Why isn't my boss stepping in to protect me? Why isn't somebody insisting that I take my vacation? Why isn't anybody else helping to put away the groceries day after day after day after day? You know, once that feeling starts to build, it can lead to obliger rebellion. Also, often obliger rebellion takes the form of health behaviors. With everything that everybody's asking me, how could you possibly expect me to exercise? With a boss like mine, there's no way I could eat healthily, right? Mm-hmm. Because the rebellion is turned to the inside. And you, when you, you hear it in the obligers, when they, that anger, that resentment, that feeling that things aren't fair, that they're being exploited or taken advantage of, that's not good. Mm. We all want to make sure, don't take advantage of the obligers. They are the rock of the world. They feel like they're being taken advantage of, and they are obligers. You are being taken advantage of because upholders, questers, and rebels, we go right to you because you are the one who's most likely to help a friend or help a colleague. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about we, like we the school volunteer request. There you go. Oy there you go. There's there so go. many, it gets crazy. And then I'm thinking, who does this? I feel like yes. like moms are like this unta- this like crazy unpaid workforce right. for like the school system, the, the public schools, private schools alike. And and that's something I, you know, I give my clients permission to do. Like you don't have to say yes to those things. Like you don't have to. <laughs> you can say no to those things. And so maybe I- you should. <laughs> I'm telling you you should. <laughs> right, right. Well, so you could be holding them accountable, mm-hmm. but there's other things that obligers yeah. can use in exactly that situation because as you can imagine, that mm-hmm. very situation comes up a lot from for yeah, obligers. Yeah. They often find it hard to draw boundaries or to say no. Now I have to say, typically a questioner or a polder or a rebel would say, like, Well, I don't get it. If you didn't want to do it, why did you sign up? Yep. Why are you doing it if you didn't <laughs> want to do it? I don't understand why you're complaining because you're the one who signed up. And it's like they don't understand the, the weight the obliger feels. So what an obliger can do is set up ca- like a counterbalance of accountability. So you could say something like, if I say yes to you, I'm going to have to say no to somebody else, like my family. And it's really important to my family that I'm there for dinner every night. So I have to say no to you so I can say yes to them. So that's like saying one way somebody is going to be disappointed. I have to disappoint someone's expectations. Who do I choose? That's back to your idea of mindfulness. I'm going to choose mm-hmm. to say yes to the people that I want to say yes to. Or sometimes it's about drawing boundaries kind of in advance, and maybe you even need to talk it over with a friend or somebody else who's going to help you like feel good about it. But you could say something like, 
if I volunteer for more than two committees during the school year, I'm going to feel overwhelmed and I'm going to have to let, and I'm, I'm going to feel like I'm going to lose my patience. I'm not going to do as good a job. It's going to be too much for me given every, all the other expectations I need to meet. So I'm going to say two and two only, and I'm going to decide that in advance. And then I'm going to tell my sister, my best friend, my husband, my kids, these are the two that I'm doing. Or you can always like call, a, you know, call a friend and say like, they're telling, you know, God, I'm getting a lot of pressure um, from the, from the school, you know, to, to do this again. Do you think I have to say yes? And just call an upholder request and a rebel. And they will say to you, why would you, I do that all the time. I call my husband and I say, do I have to do this? And he's like, why would you do that? And I'm like, why would I do that? You know, sometimes you need to hear it from somebody else. Or if you were advising a friend, imagine yourself in the third person. If a friend called you and said, you know, I'm on six committees and I've done it every year and I've been head of the book fair every year for the last seven years and they really want me to do it again. Do you think I have to do it again? Your friend's going to say, no. And sometimes for an obliger, even imagining themselves advising some beloved person, Mm -hmm. lets them say, yeah, you can say no. You need to say no. So, so one of the thing, questions I get a lot is about like chores and how do we get our kids to like sort of do chores and things like that. And, and part of it, like kind of what, from what I'm getting from you here is this inner work of saying, when I say yes to doing all the things for my child or children, uh, you know, maybe making that argument to ourselves, like when I say yes to doing all these things for my child, I'm saying no to them being capable and, yes. and, and having, you know, resilience and, and life skills and all of those things. So, yes. um, so that I am almost, I am obliged to teach yes. and help my kids to get their, their own stuff done rather than just put away the dishes myself, which would take three minutes. So yeah. what, and, and what the, the, the ruse, and again, this doesn't appeal to me because I'm an upholder, but this is something that many obligers have said to me, I'm training my child because I don't want my child to go and be the horrible college roommate. I've heard this mm. dozens of times. Hmm. And I'm like, that's so funny because I never thought about my daughter as like as a future college roommate. Like that, like that future never occurred to me. But many obligers are like, well, you have to train them to pick up after themselves and do dishes and how to do their own laundry because what if they're going to be this horrible college roommate? This seems to be a very, very compelling <laughs> argument. So that's a reason. And it's very true. You're going to be a much better spouse if you learn how to pick up after yourself, you know? So you're exactly right. Think about that outer accountability. But here's the other thing. And I, I mean, this is kind of a t- side note. This is about shared work and chores and stuff. And this sounds so obvious that I kind of hate even to say it, but it's just so true. And obligers need to hear it more than anybody. If you do not want to do something... If you feel that you should not have to load the dishwasher or you feel that you should not have to mow the yard or you feel that you should not have to pick up wet towels off of a child's bed and put them on the rack, don't do it. Amen. Don't don't do it. If you do it, it, this is a situation that works great for everybody other than you because the work is getting done. Don't do it. And the fact is a lot of times obligers feel like, oh, I've been making coffee in the office for a month now. Doesn't everybody feel like they ought to take their turn? No, they don't because you've been doing it for a month. They probably think it's your job or maybe they think you enjoy it or maybe it never even occurs to them to wonder who makes the coffee. They think the, they think the office elves make the coffee. Who can yeah. know? They got so other things idea, on their mind. <laughs> they got other things on their mind. So the idea that, that other people are like kind of keeping track and feel guilty mm. or like feel like they're going to have to step in and relieve you um, or that they're ever going to think about that wet towel again if it disappears into the bathroom. They never will. you got to just let the things go undone. Now, this mm-hmm. is harder 
this is easier said than done. I recognize it. Um, and you might say like, well, it's one thing to have the wet towels on my child's bed, but my husband leaves the wet towels on my bed. That's making my bed wet. And it's like, well, either you figure out a way to get him to do it or you do it yourself or you suffer the consequences. Those are the three choices. But if you keep doing it, mm-hmm. just kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. that works. And maybe it's not worth fussing with. A lot of things I'm like, you know, I want it this way because this is the way I want it. I don't like, and nobody else cares. I hate dog toys on the dog. I spent half my life picking up dog. My dog is one of these dogs who really likes dog toys. A lot of dogs don't, but my dog really likes dog toys. And I'm like, I could badger other people to deal with this and to help. It's just not worth it. I'd rather just put the dog toy. It's like the easiest task in the world. I find it kind of get a weird, weird satisfaction from it. I'm just going to decide to do it myself because that's what I want done and not get into it as like being a household chore because it's just not worth it. That is not worth it. Other things are worth it. This is not worth it. Not everything's worth it. And so this is beautiful because again, you're asking people to take a step back and have that self-awareness and practice that self-awareness to say, all right, these are my three choices. You know, that's maybe you have to have that conversation. That's where the skillful communication comes in that we talk about a lot here, but or, and then knowing myself, this, this matters to me. This doesn't matter to anyone else. Like this is, this is that self-knowledge, like just have these clarity to make these choices. And then when we can make the choices in clarity, then we can let go of a lot of the resentment, which the resentment is often like stories in our head. Like what you're describing with this person in the office, these are stories in your head that you're making up that are not Yes. True, right? You can yes. live without you, those stories. You have a whole, this is the thing that I really so often, you think like you're in the center of like a whole thing and they're not even like, you have not even crossed their mind. Like it's not even on their radar. But the thing about, about mindfulness and like the clarity, I mean, an example that I love is like, does something even need to be done at all? Some things yeah. maybe don't need to be done at all. And I, there was a great example from a mother who was saying she, she had five kids and she was driven mad because her children would pull their jeans off and they would go inside out and their, their ch- and her children would not take the time to like pull the jeans inside out. And she said, oh, and the underpants kids. stuck. Yeah, in she's, the- like, yeah, she's like, I'm a, I, I did have five kids. Way. I spend half my life turning things inside out. And then she said, finally, it occurred to me. Yeah. Just wash them inside out, put them in the drawer inside out. You can wear them inside out or you could turn them right side in. Up to you. But you do it. One way or the other, I'm not doing that. You can do it. And it doesn't make any difference to the washing and putting away thing. And I was like, of course. It's like you, but they're never going to do it while you're doing it, like, because every time they get reached for a pair of jeans, they're fine. Like, why would, you know, they're just not going to change unless they're probably in a polder would do it just to be like, cause that's the rule. But it's like, <laughs> this is work that doesn't need to be done. You don't uh, have to do this work. Or like uh, a teacher emailed me saying, oh, I spend so much time shredding my student essays and lesson plans. And I'm like, why are you shredding that? Like, this is not bank information. Like there's no one out there like stealing the identity of your third graders, <laughs> like stories about their summer vacation. Like that's not sensitive information. You don't need to shred that. Just yeah. put it in the recycling. It's like, that's just make work. You know what I mean? So part of it is like, why am I even doing this? Cause sometimes it's like you get into these habits. It's like, yeah, you don't even need to do that at all. Mm, amen. Amen. <laughs> I love it. I love when you get people give permission to say, just don't even do it. Don't, don't do it. Do. I love that. I love that. So I think the listeners hopefully having as many wonderful ahas here as I am. I'm really uh, appreciating uh-huh. this. You should absolutely figure out obviously which tendency you are. Go, go take Gretchen's quiz. We'll link to it in the show notes. 
And I really, I just want to say to you, I, I really appreciate your work. I appreciate your hacks, the way that you take some of <laughs> Ideas, you take them to and, and say them in a way where it's really people can hear it. And I think that's a really a beautiful gift that you have of making all these things kind of like down, down to earth and, and down to and not taking kind of kind of you take like these everyday things and you look at them in a, in a beautiful way, elevating them, you know, like these things, the way we live our everyday life matters. You know, they say yeah. the way we live our everyday is the way we live our life, right? So, and, and uh, you're, that's kind of what I see you doing there with your work. So is there any words of wisdom you want to leave the listener with or anything you're working on that you'd love to, to share with them? And of course, where can people find you? Oh yeah, um, please come to my website, GretchenRubin.com. And there's lots of resources there and discussion guides. And you can read about all my books about kind of happiness and good habits and human nature. And there's a lot of stuff there to help if you're trying to change a habit or, or whatever. And then I have my podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, where I, my sister and I, my sister's an obliger, we talk about, and very messy. So we talk about like happiness and good habits and each week, and that's tons of fun. And uh, my book, as I said, that's what well, actually the 10th anniversary of the Happiness Project is coming out. That's ex an exciting milestone. Congratulations. Um, for sure. Thank you. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been 10 years. And then uh, I have a book, my book, Outer Order, Inner Calm, which is all about basically organization and decluttering. Uh, which your husband, it sounds like he's a, he's also like a, in that mode with me. That's coming out in March. And I'm really excited for that book because people just get so fired up about clutter clearing. It's kind of funny, like how, like it just, it's so energizing. It just makes you feel like you could do anything cleaning out your coat closet. Like why, why does that matter so much? And I love to engage with readers and listeners and viewers on social media. I'm everywhere as Gretchen Rubin. So I love hearing from people about their insights and observations and questions. So I got a ton of stuff out there if you're interested in happiness or human nature. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Gretchen. Again, I really appreciate your work and what you brought to the table. Lots of great stuff here. I hope that everyone, every listener, you know, you go and figure out your tendency. Which, which <laughs> one are you? And then let us know. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Oh, I so enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to the Mindful Mama podcast. I loved talking to Gretchen. I love her suggestion to make those easy changes first, going for the low-hanging fruit and, you know, how to draw boundaries and when to simply like, just stop doing something. It's so beautiful. I love that. Love that so much. So please get in touch with me if you like this episode. Share the episode. Of course, subscribe to the episode, to the podcast. This tribe is growing. We have had almost 200,000 downloads now. And I want to thank you for sharing it with your friends and sharing these episodes that mean a lot to you and reaching out to me and connecting with me over the episodes that mean a lot to you. That means so much to me. You have no idea. So it's awesome. So thank you. Thank you for that. Reminder, I am enrolling my Mindful Mama Transformation Coaching Groups. It's a small group coaching program for an intimate group of women. We will do an evening group and we will do an afternoon group. It's for people all around the world and it's about transforming your experience of every day. So if you are sick and tired of being sick and tired and you really want to feel grounded, you want to heal, grow, you want to 
radically improve your parenting, communication skills, and your relationships, then I invite you to check it out. And I'm also happy to hop on the phone with you and talk to you about it personally. So do check it out at mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching. And that's it for this week. I really so glad we got to connect. If this episode was helpful, please do share it around. Next week, we are going to be talking again to Dr. Dan Siegel. Uh, he's got another amazing book out. So we're going to talk to again to Dan Siegel, which is so cool. And I'm just wishing you a beautiful week. I'm glad to connect. I hope this podcast, this sharing has helped you. Coming soon, we might have a way for you to help support the podcast and keep it ad-free. We've been debating sponsors, no sponsors, and I, I do want to keep it ad-free. So you're going to hear a way to support the podcast soon. But if you're interested, do check out the group coaching, mindfulmomentor.com slash group coaching. The programs now, this is what supports the podcast. So this is a great way for you to transform your life and support this podcast that hopefully you're you've gotten some things out of. I don't know. Anyway, wishing you a beautiful week, my friend. Wishing you some moments of peace, some equanimity through the hard moments, and some release, some quiet, and some sparks of joy. Namaste. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist, and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.